1: Hi, and welcome to New Books in Genocide Studies, part of the New Books Network of Podcasts. My name is Kelly McFall from Newman University, and I'm the host of the show. This week I'm thrilled to welcome David Gaunt to the show. David is Professor Emeritus at Söderturn University in Sweden and has written widely about genocide in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. In particular, he's one of the few people in the world who can claim to have studied the mass violence against the Assyrian, Syriac, and Chaldean peoples of the Ottoman Empire. His first book on the subject, titled Massacres, Resistance Protectors, Muslim-Christian Relations in Eastern Anatolia in World War I, was a path-breaking investigation of the subject. He's followed that book with an edited volume that examines this violence from a variety of perspectives. The book is co-edited, Uh, And I want to make sure to give credit to Nowris Otto and Sauner Bartoma, uh, his co-editors. And together, the three of them have produced a book that widens the angle of vision on the events. It includes history, psychology, memory studies, literature, and other approaches uh, to comparative genocide. And it both adds to our knowledge and suggests paths for future research. It's a fabulous book. Uh, I learned a lot from it, and I'm really looking forward to talking about it. So, with that, David, welcome, and thanks for joining us on New Books in Genocide Studies. Uh,
0: thank you so much, Kelly, for this very generous introduction, and uh, I'm very so, happy David, to be here. David, I always here.
1: great. I I I always ask um, guests to start the interview by saying a little bit about themselves. So, so help us understand who you are and how you ended up. Um, becoming interested in the subject.
0: Right. Well, I have always been a historian. And uh, for a long time, I did a lot of things with about population and family history and work history and the history of the uh, Swedish bureaucracy. But at one point, one of my daughters was uh, taking a summer course. And I was on the telephone with her, and I asked her, "Well, what was the course?" And she said, "No, I won't tell you." Uh huh, I said. And then my wife got on the phone, and uh, after a while, she came back and said, "Well, Siri is taking a, a summer course in on genocide studies at Uppsala University." And I and I thought, hmm, I I must have been very unclear about what I I felt about genocide and violence in in general uh and um so it got me to thinking and uh i i asked siri what what was the problem and she said she thought that i I would think she was a bit of a uh silly uh in a way (laughs) and i said no it wasn't so i i started working with um uh, my my mother's people they came uh, they're jewish from ukraine and started working on uh, eastern europe because i, I was uh, connected with a, uh, a a school for eastern european studies and, uh, so it began like that uh the Assyrian uh, connection came a bit later uh, you may remember that the, the prime minister of sweden Jörn persson had a series of conferences that began in uh, 2000 on uh, genocide prevention and teaching and uh, i was there and listened and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said he was an assyrian and uh, wondered if i could uh, be interested in assyrian things and i said well why why not uh because well my university uh it turns out on uh, which is new uh is smack in the middle of one of the largest diasporas of Assyrian peoples in the world uh and uh, so it didn't seem like a, such a silly idea to to work with the the Assyrian uh problems uh They had difficulties, of course, like anyone who connected with the Ottoman Empire, with the Turkish uh, diplomats who were working here in Stockholm, Uh, and uh, they needed uh, someone who would represent their case. And uh, so I started reading whatever they gave me, and after a while, uh, I could see that this was really very much like the Jewish Holocaust and uh, uh, the way things were, um, the, the the brutality, the political uh, manipulations, the administrative and policiera uh, things. So um, uh, I became bitten, we would say, and uh, in the end I ended up writing a book about it. With the, with their help, uh, the Assyrian community helped me a lot, like uh, translating books from Arabic or Syriac into <laughs> actually Swedish, uh, and then uh, finding things from libraries in Turkey that were um, not possible to actually get uh, from rather secretive places. And, uh, we had a network extending from Australia to the Middle East, uh, who were working with getting me documents and uh, information it was uh, quite remarkable, actually. Some of the most reliable, uh, of my informants worked as grossists in, uh, well, no, the, the wholesalers, uh, in the fruit and vegetable <laughs> markets. That's an amazing story. Well,
1: I don't it, know that I've ever heard an origin story like that before.
0: Uh, was, <laughs> I haven't done it other more than once, and it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me it was uh, really um, uh, something that, like a labor of love in a way because they were so helpful to me, and uh, I felt that uh, this is a. A group of people whose history uh, totally unknown, even among themselves, it was uh, actually first when they had left Turkey in the 1970s and 1980s that they had uh, the possibility to actually study their own history and uh, uh, find things out because uh, in, in a way, uh, inside the Republic of Turkey, there Parents often were very suspicious of uh, the Turk, the teachers in the Turkish schools. Um, And so were not especially keen to have their children go to school. And (laughs) so, uh, but uh, in, in 1980, there was a coup in uh, Turkey and a lot of um, uh, the first Assyrian students were actually in university were very politicized, and they came to Sweden and to Germany. And they began talking about this, what they called Safo, the year of the sword, uh, having to do with the genocide, and made it as part of um, the identity of um, their peoples, and uh, uh, working politically, especially, on this question. The recognition by other governments—that is. So,
1: so this subject was largely unknown, at least in the West. How how did people respond to that
0: first book? Mm. Uh, well, I lost a few friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in the meaning that uh, my informants um, would give me some kind of information and documentation and then it turned out that there were many sides to the same question and so uh so I, I i when the book was translated into turkish i put in a footnote about what an event that happened in the town of midyat uh which is probably the only totally assyrian city in the ottoman empire uh and uh, and then I got a telephone call from someone in Minneapolis, I think, and said, I have read your book. It is terrible. Uh, my my ancestor did not die in that way, and he was loyal to the Assyrian peoples. And, and so I changed in the Turkish translation uh, that, um, well, there are two sides to the story <laughs> and and all of a sudden, some of the people who have been helping me said, "Oh no, you can't do that, we won't talk to you again huh. and it's oh, a no. little bit like that i uh, I have a feeling that many of the conflicts that were in uh, involved uh, in the Assyrian peoples uh inside the Ottoman Empire and in Turkey have been transported into the diaspora and they Uh, not solved yet, Uh, my co-editor, Nauris Atto, she's written an entire dissertation about the uh, identity conflicts in the diaspora between those who will call themselves Assyrian and those who refuse to call themselves Assyrian, though they belong to the same, what we would call, ethnic religious group. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I've learned by making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> well, that's maybe a good
1: opportunity to ask you if you can briefly, Nowris and, and Sonar, they're not with us, um, Sonar. Uh, maybe you could introduce them just a little bit.
0: Well, Nauris is um, a linguist and a religious uh, uh, researcher, now based in Cambridge, but her dissertation was at Leiden in the Netherlands. Um, and, uh, she work, is working now, uh, w- very closely with the Yazidi question. Um, uh, uh, Assyrians and Yazidis have the, uh, the same sort of background in this, living in the same place and being non-Muslim. So, uh, and, uh, Sonner is a political scientist, now I think based in Berlin, uh, and, um, uh, he's, he grew up in Turkey and had, had been asked by the HDP uh, political party, the one that is pro-Kurdish, uh, to be their Assyrian uh, candidate at one time. But he, he, he felt he could not go back to Turkey uh, and uh, stay out of jail. So So now he's working as a political scientist. So let's
1: turn to the book, Uh, and I know that this is a subject that many people don't know much about. So so maybe you could say a little bit about, just as a a way of introducing this, um, what happened? Who are are the peoples uh, you've referred to, the Assyrians, Syriac, and Chaldeans, where did they live, Um, and what happened to them in this period in and around the First World War?
0: Well uh if we call them ethnically uh in a modern term assyrians they include a number of smaller religious groups that call themselves the syriac orthodox the syriac catholics the chaldeans which is a, also a catholic church uh and then the church of the east which traditionally was called the the nestorians they all live lived in uh, an area in southeastern part of turkey close to the syrian and the iraq and the iranian borders this is um, very hilly sometimes very mountainous and remote areas we believe that they moved there uh in the this early stages of christianity uh, because they they belonged to the theology of the school of Antioch, which was a little bit special, a lot of uh, uh, very ascetic type of uh, religion, um, and uh, they may have ended up in this area as a as a way of being uh, free from persecution, uh, even in the Byzantine Empire, and then later on in uh, from various Muslim states uh th- this is mountainous and remote areas uh so that the, the and this kind of an area is very good for uh preserving your own culture being far from any state that will take texas or uh, press you into anything but, but it also meant that these people were that they may have at one time spoken the same language and have the same kind of religion they separated and they had little contact with each other and even uh, were not just rivals but actually could be hating each other and uh, uh but they were all uh what we would say they are christian in in basically uh and the religious aspect of their identity is the most important one um This remoteness from the state also meant that they were remote from education, from media, uh, and from the rest of the world until missionaries turned up there in the 1800s. What can one say? They lived as farmers or semi nomads up in the high mountains with their flocks of sheep and they were surrounded by neighbors who were Kurds uh, or Yazidis which is uh, they are Kurdish speaking but have a non-Muslim religion. Uh, Some of them were so the Assyrians were so fierce that you really couldn't tell the difference between them and the kurds except by the 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 hats that they were wearing uh and the, they had a culture that was ba- based on family feuds blood feuds etc um and they they were very good at defending themselves uh some of the assyrian the the nestorians the ones that lived uh, furthest towards iran uh, were actually um, built up as on as tribes and they could carry weapons even though they were not muslims Uh, they belonged to kurdish tribal confederations and sometimes they would the ones in the one confederation would be fighting the their co-religionists in another confederation. So it's all very messy as uh, to their past and uh, a rather uh, aggressive people <laughs> in a way, uh, which is what happened during the genocide. The genocide started in 1915. Um, Uh, in the area along the border between Turkey and Iran. Uh, When uh, one of the leaders of the Ottoman uh, government, Talat Pasha, the minister of interior, decided that he was going to move the Assyrians from the border area and bring them about a 1,000 miles westward and divide them up so that there wouldn't be very many people in any, any particular village. And so their culture would be destroyed and the like. And, uh, this happened just the week before the First World War broke out in, in this area. Uh, so it didn't get implemented, but instead the local, uh, uh Kurdish irregular Uh, regiments began massacring Assyrian people in order to get them to flee across the border into Iran. Uh, And then this was already in 1914. Uh, I don't know if I can go into the genocide in great detail.
1: Uh, Well, let's take a second and back. So so that was a wonderful introduction. One of the things... That you highlight in your essay in the book, um, and also in the introduction, is the lengthy history of violence in the region that precedes World War One. What what was that violence about, and was it qualitatively different from, I, or maybe I should say, how was it qualitatively different from what happens during the war itself?
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, this is one of my hobby horses that um, <laughs> that that the the uh, Assyrians were caught up in Kurdish tribal warfare uh which became more and more intense as the uh, the eighteen hundreds progressed uh in the beginning you could say that uh the Assyrians would give the Kurds as good a fight as possible uh, and uh, they were sort of balanced in this way. But uh, there were several phases and at one time uh, one of the uh, Kurdish emirs decided that he wanted to expand and come into uh, a larger territory and take over the smaller emirates. And usually uh, these emirates, based around the, Tig- the tiger the Tigris River, I guess you would say uh, would spill over into um, the the Assyrian areas, either into the mountains or the farmlands of the Turabdin, as it was called uh, a, an, an area filled with uh, Assyrian villages and uh this l- led to massacres in the eighteen forties that already uh, came to the knowledge of uh, the world press and so they were writing about it in the London in the Times of london uh e- e- even in french Russian newspapers uh, had articles on this and th- this sort of continued after a while uh, one of the steps that were most uh, fateful for the the Assyrians was that uh, the the Ottoman state decided it wanted to centralize its power and send in armies to put down the um, um, these emirs who were getting a bit uh, restless. Uh, and when these armies came in, they created more trouble than there was even before. It was sort of like the uh, Americans in Iraq. Uh, and the, the Christians were caught up in this. Uh, and they were more or less on the losing end, uh, even here. Um, at one time, the Sultan, whose name was Abdul Hamid, uh, almost the, next to the last sultan of the Ottoman Empire, uh, decided to make uh, a deal with the Kurdish emirs and turned certain of his friendly, more friendly Kurdish tribes into special irregular regiments of cavalry. Gave them uniforms and weapons and the like. And these, these regiments were totally out of control. As, as irregulars they were not uh, subject to military discipline and um, as a military they were not subject to normal ottoman justice and so they could do anything they wanted to stealing uh and uh, well the assyrians were good at fighting and uh, and the like, but they they were being outnumbered, they were being outgunned uh, and it made even normal ordinary uh, Assyrians very watchful. They could be attacked at any time without notice, uh, they had to be themselves armed and uh, be prepared to defend themselves uh, if they couldn't carry arms, they had to ally themselves with Kurdish tribes. And this got them involved in Kurdish intertribal warfare, of which there is a long history. And this created a culture of violence. I mean, when you look at uh, the history of the Assyrians, what is written, they are praising warriors and even religious figures who could dare to stand up against the Kurdish neighbors the like. So uh, the, the whole, um, it, it was like a powder keg. Uh, now, what happens that makes a difference during the First World War is that the state actually supports the Kurdish and local people in their fights uh, and grudges against the christian peoples uh, this didn't occur previously usually the the kurds would try and eliminate the christians there were also imams who had a extremely um, negative view of uh, the christians uh, but the state would try to help them, preserve them, send an army or uh, send soldiers. Uh, this did not happen during World War I. Instead, they encouraged the Kurds to do this. And even if the Kurdish leader said that, no, no, these are our Christians. We will try and defend them uh, against these other guys. Uh, but uh, we've always defended them. No, 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 the state said, uh, we will punish you if you do that. And that did happen. Uh, the state would organize even uh, special task forces that would go and uh, um, uh, and, and massacre villages. Uh, there were episodes in which Kurdish bandits, which were already banished, uh, would get an, a pardon in case they would participate in the killings and uh, uh th- this was more than an explosive, it was really a catastrophe
1: so you make a, a point in the book of explaining why you believe genocide is the right term for these events can Can you run through that for the listeners why, why is why is this genocide
0: okay uh, all right I, I'm taking as uh, my starting point that genocide is an activity that is politically determined and is made by a government against a a minority that is identifiable for religious or or linguistic purposes, uh, and trying to eradicate them as much as possible. Uh, the genocide starts with an order that comes from Talat Pasha, um, the minister of the interior, uh, on the 26th of October, 1914, that P- the Assyrians would be moved from their homes and sh- sent to Ankara or Konya or other places in the interior of Turkey. Uh, and then uh, it ends on the 25th of december 1915 with uh, a new order from talat pasha saying that no uh, what we have done against the assyrians up to now we must stop but by that time uh, an estimated 250000 uh, assyrians of the various religious groups had been killed either murdered or died in uh, hardship or disease. Uh, And it's said to be about half of the original population. Uh, So we have orders coming from above. We can see how the governors in the various provinces organized uh, killing, uh, had administrative personnel who refused to participate in the uh, killing removed and replaced by those who were willing to to uh, execute these uh, uh, plans. Uh, we can see that all the deportations and the death marches are organized by the chiefs of police. Uh, political uh, personalities from the uh, the various political organizations were involved and. Uh, uh, and sometimes when there was resistance, as the Assyrians did do, uh, you would send the, um, the Ottoman a- army to actually kill the, uh, and remove people. Uh, so in this way, it, it's totally different. The political aspect is, uh, massive uh Which is why I would call it a genocide rather than simply massacres and uh, not uh, unfortunate incidents or something like that and it you cannot as the uh, Turkish state has for a long time said that no, this were Kurdish tribes who were out of control who were doing this, but there is so much evidence that is the not just the Kurdish tribes um who are involved. Yeah, and I
1: want to come back to that because I there's a couple essays in your book about the Turkish uh response in in the past decades and I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about that. Most most people if they know something about the Ottoman Empire and mass violence in the war, they're going to think about the violence against Armenians. So, so how does this violence compare with that directed against the Armenians and does the Ottoman is this a distinction that the Ottoman government makes, or does the Ottoman government lump the Armenians and the Assyrians together?
0: No. Uh, in, this is the most complicated aspect of it all. Uh, it, it would seem that in the beginning, uh, the, that the st- The Ottoman state was only interested in the Armenians because they were politically organized. They had a revolutionary movement and were very effective and had a great network. Um, The Assyrians lived sort of in a different geographic area, uh, were not political, and uh, had no revolutionary movement at all to speak of. So it it would seem to be on the local initiative that if you lived in a province where there weren't very many Armenians but there were Assyrians there, <laughs> you, you would attack them. Uh, for many people, many people in Kurdish would say that this was uh, a firman an fella that was that is to say, an order from the Sultan to kill uh christians uh fella being uh, uh, the word for christians and you would do this indiscriminately uh and the political administrations of say in the arabic here in beatles and in van uh, uh, cooperated in this as local uh, initiative uh, because you wanted to take over property uh you also had a religious personality saying that it is a good thing to kill uh, non-Muslims uh, and the like. But uh, we we cannot see actually how it came that Assyrians were mixed up with the Armenians. Uh, everyone knew that they spoke a different language, for the most part, that their religious uh, their religion was different. Uh, and that they lived in different places, uh, but uh, it, it 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 did seem in a way, and the Assyrians at the time stated that well, we're being killed because we are Christian, not because we are political uh, and i i we can't get much further than that so
1: so let me follow up on on that last comment because I'm intrigued by how. The victims understood what was happening to them? Did they see this as something distinctly different from what their parents and grandparents experienced? Um, did they understand the genocide as a word didn't exist? Did they understand this as an attempt to eliminate a people? How, what's your sense of how people suffering from this violence experienced it?
0: In general, uh, in genocide, the victims themselves actually don't know what's going on. Uh, so uh, whether it's a genocide or not is a is a reconstruction that you make. Uh, okay, what was it that happened to us? Was it, was it so systematic? Was it? Uh, and we have a, a number of people who were writing diaries or chronicles at the same time. And or in some cases, if they were religiously inspired, they would say, well, we're being killed because we, as a people, have sinned against our God. So this is a punishment coming from God. Um, and that is something that um, doesn't help you to understand Actually, uh, others would say, well, it's like it's it's like in Roman times. It's the Christians thrown to the beasts, uh, And uh, they, they usually did not know very much about politics. Uh, they could say something like, well, the sultan has ordered this to happen. How do we know that? Because our Kurdish neighbors have said that the Sultan has sent this order. Uh-huh. Uh, so in the beginning, they had no term for this. Uh, the term safo this year of the sword, is something that has come up in the last uh, 30 to 40 years. Uh, and that's a word that was usually used for any kind of massacre. Now it's become safo with a big S, the sefo. Uh otherwise it's, uh, there are many words for massacre for deportations and the like that uh, Shabotalai in our book uh, was writing about how how people were using that um, and uh, Seifo seems to be catching on even uh, among uh, uh comparative genocide studies so uh, it uh, it is a a politically inspired um, word that uh, has been used in the diaspora. One
1: of the distinctive aspects of this violence uh, is that it doesn't end in 19. How, how, does, how does the extension of violence in the Ottoman Empire as a whole shape the violence against the Christians, and, and when
0: does it stop? Oh, well, uh It stops uh, in a geographic area that we know of as Turabdin, that is the uh, area around the market town of Midyat, which was about the only enclave of um, uh, Christian Assyrians that existed in the uh, Republic of Turkey after the deportations and the, the genocide. Uh, it it ends in the nineteen seventies eighties uh then it is not state directed but it is directed by uh against assyrians um individually or in groups uh For instance, uh, small buses with people being taken to churches or to town would be surrounded and uh, the people killed, or individual leaders would be picked off uh, one by one. Uh, and This contributed to the exodus of uh, the Assyrian Christians from the area. In the 1970s, 1980s, taking advantage of that Germany had this program for a Gastarbeiter. Uh, so they would be coming to Germany and then to Holland and to Sweden, uh, in, in a wave. And now there are, oh, only a few hundred left. Uh, and their description is that the genocide never stopped, it just continued, and this is their view. Um, we can also say that the Syrian Orthodox Church, which was based in Mardin, a rather big town in uh, southern Turkey, uh, tried to make an accommodation with uh, the new government of Turkey, uh, Kemal Ataturk and the like, uh, uh, saying that, no, well, the genocide didn't happen to us, so uh, we're OK. We, we love Turks, we love the new government. They were thrown out anyway in 1924 and uh, ended up in Syria, uh, and there, uh, we don't really know why uh, Atatürk did this. Um, Other than it, it's uh, some kind of a primitive feeling that a nation, a new nation needs to be homogeneous, which was, okay, pretty common at that period of time. It's also not Nazi time. Um, uh, uh, So, and uh, locally, people were um, killing, prominent assyrians who were known to have led a resistance and the like so the more prominent you are the greater the risk was that you would be picked off and shot um it, it, it's it's really a terrible thing it's it's a it's a terrible thing that it never got uh, uh, settled up and that the turkish states uh police system which Otherwise, it's rather well known for being effective. Did not stop this violence.
1: You referred earlier to uh, to Turkey's um, consistent insistence that there was no genocide against Christian peoples during the war. Um, and and there's a couple essays in the book outlining why and how the Turkish government has tried to deny that the events that you're writing about constitute genocide. What, what is the motive for the Turk? What do you see as the motive for the Turkish government? And, and what arguments does the government use uh, in in their effort to deny this?
0: This is also a difficult question because we're trying to figure out why they are denying something that actu- actually happened and where there is a, a multitude of um, uh, documentation in the Ottoman archives themselves, uh, it seems that they have painted themselves in a corner by denying over such a long period of time that after a while the denial is simply a continuation of the denial uh, and you don't have to have a newer argument inside this. Um, uh, There's an interesting book by Fatma Möge-Gercek on... Turkish denialism it started already in the seventeen hundreds that uh w- when uh, an accusation that uh, they had been uh, um, that had been systematic killings of non muslims and saying that no no it hadn't happened uh I think it it's getting less and less aggressive this denialism it used to be that the turkish um diplomats would be sent to uh, conferences in order to make this uh, make a, a a counter statement um, and uh, they've ceased doing that uh, I, I I really don't know uh, after I wrote the first book uh, the uh, the Turkish uh, historical Commission actually uh, Instituted an Assyrian section for for the denial. is It's a one person deal. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it's it's exactly the same as the denialism against the uh, uh, Armenians. Uh, I, I'm flabbergasted that they actually do this. I'm sure that all of the diplomats who were involved were very embarrassed in having to do this. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I I I have no explanation. I do not. Know. Well, some broader questions about
1: this. Um how does how does what we now know about these events and this genocide does this change at all our understanding of the broader nature of the Ottoman regime of the Committee of Union and Progress of of what is how does this shape our understanding of the broader context?
0: Well, I mean, you can write the history of Turkey without even mentioning genocide at all. Uh, On the other hand, uh, this if you take the genocide as something central, something that was um, uh, being built up throughout the 1800s to 1915 and then beyond, then it's something else. the one, uh, uh, Turkey described in its history as a progressive thing, um, without genocide is a story of successes. If you bring in all of these massacres and the, um, the treatment of the minorities, I- including the Yazidis, uh, then it's not a story of success. It's a story of um, cyclical uh, abuse of people and uh, a very harsh regime that uh, goes has some liberal aspects sometimes, but rather harsh uh, in its essence. Uh, whether the one or the other is actually the more truthful i wouldn't say but the assyrians would definitely say that their uh, persecution has been long term and ongoing and uh,
1: and i should say and we don't have time to talk about it in this interview but one of the essays in the volume is about the uh, long-term impact uh, both on people who survived the massacres but also on the second and third generation and that's a it's well worth looking at that essay in terms of thinking about the the long term impact of this violence. Let me flip the the past question around then what is looking at the genocide against the Assyrian people? What does this add to our understanding broad broadly to our understanding of mass violence and genocide
0: uh it It gives us a case uh to consider when doing uh w- uh, work with uh, comparing genocides with each other. The problem with the genocide comparison thing is that we haven't had very many actual genocides. Uh But this is one more. Uh It is one that is difficult in a way because it is not politically motivated. It, it is sort of like the situation of the Roma who died during the uh nazi uh, holocaust uh, although hitler never said a word about them Uh, that's on the one side the other side is the difficult question is that the assyrians put up a lot of um resistance and when they had a chance they took bloody revenge uh on the those they thought were the perpetrators uh, and uh, this means that we have a situation where we can't really portray the Assyrians as innocent victims, uh, which we usually like to do uh, in a genocide narrative. Uh, here we have a, a group that is just as fierce or as uh, those who have attacked them. That's a, a, an interesting thing, and uh, genocide usually Cannot work with something like that, uh, and it has allowed the Turks at sometimes to say, "Well, uh, since they resisted and helped the enemy, uh, then they deserved everything they got." Uh, so let me flip that question around. Um, what is looking
1: at this particular event add to our understanding of of mass violence
0: and genocide? Well. Uh, to my mind, uh, it has a, a great bearing for comparative genocide. Now, In the Assyrian case, we're talking about a people who make a great amount of resistance. They even are fighting against the Turkish army, and sometimes succeeding in this. Uh, this makes it difficult to portray the Assyrian case as one of a completely innocent victims, um, who are, are the, the, the victims of completely evil perpetrators. Sometimes when the, uh, the resistance goes so far that they, uh, start killing a disproportionately many of the, the group that they consider to be the perpetrators it still does not re, uh, negate the, the question of uh, the issue of being a genocide, but it makes it more difficult to see what kind of victims they are. Uh, that, I think, is something interesting. Also, uh, this is like a parallel to the case of the Roma during the Second World War who were being killed, although Hitler never said a word about them. Now we have this, the Assyrian groups which were being killed although they had no political importance whatsoever um, and nothing uh, on the same level as the Armenians. So is this a secondary genocide or what is it?